Welcome back, everybody, to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I am Bob Kaler, one of your hosts, along with Stephanie Greenwald. Stephanie, how are you on this fine day? I am just doing great. So excited about our guest speaker today and glad to be on Zoom studio with you, Bob. We want to get right to it because this is an important task force report that we want to make sure that we get into people's hands and that we have a chance to talk about. So introduce our guest, Stephanie. Yes, it is my privilege to introduce Deborah Beatty, who is the lay leader at Asbury Church in Madison, Alabama, and she has served as a delegate to the North Alabama Annual Conference. She's also served on the WCA Accountable Discipleship Task Force as the chairwoman of the WCA Sexual Holiness Wholeness and Brokenness Task Force, and she's a council member of the WCA Global Council. So welcome to you, Deborah. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thank you so much. It's good to see you both. Well, it's good to see you too, and we're so glad to have you here. So as we dive into our first question, can you just tell us how the task force came together and then a little bit about what is the goal that you're all aiming at in your work? Yes. Um, our first meeting was in July of 2020. Um, those of us who were handpicked to serve on this task force started the intense work of prayerfully composing this report. Um, we were aware of the weight of the subject matter and spent time outside of our meetings to talk and get to know one another, which helped us to build trust. Um, our charge was to write recommendations for ministry on sexual brokenness based on scripture and Wesleyan theology making it accessible to laypersons and to include recommended resources, all in 10 to 12 pages, which is <laughs> intense. Um, so we, we sought to focus on and point to Christ in our report. Yeah, that, that was not a, a difficult task at all to try to say everything <laughs> you wanted to say in that short amount of time. Um, but, you know, we've been, we've been focusing so much on the issue of, sexuality throughout this whole debate with the United Methodist Church. Um, but one of the things that impressed me about your report is that it, it, the title of the task force is Sexual Holiness, Wholeness, and Brokenness. So it's focused on so much more than just uh, homosexuality, LGBTQ issues. It really focuses on sexual brokenness that in some way affects nearly every person in every church. I, I always tell my folks when we talk about this, you know, all of our orientations are disoriented <laughs> by sin. So why is sexual brokenness such an important topic for the church to address, not just as something to debate, but rather something to talk about in terms of promoting healing? Right, um, exactly. In the introduction to our report, we wrote that the questions regarding sexuality are weighty ones in our churches, cultures, and in our individual lives. They involve matters of meaning and identity, how we relate to one another and how we are related to one another. They reveal our capacity for deeply wounding one another and our longing for love. So sexual brokenness is important because it's so painful to experience and our fallenness, just as you said, Bob, leads to disorientation and disorder in all aspects of our lives, including our sexuality and gender. So every person is impacted in some way by our own sexual brokenness, either, either our thoughts and attitudes, as well as our actions. And we're also wounded by the sin of others. Yet 
we wrote about the healing and hope available in Christ. You know, I think it's so interesting when, when we look at this topic, because, you know, the world has already decided what its response is to this topic. And it's, it's not scriptural. It's not holy. And so I'm so glad that we as a church are saying, okay, now we're going to put out our take on this, which is scriptural. It is based in scripture. It is holy. And it's a topic that a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about. They, they just don't want to go there. And so I'm grateful that this task force has taken on a very difficult task in doing this, but something that is very, very needed. So as we dive into the report itself, can you let our listeners know what the recommendations and the conclusions are from the task force? Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. There, there are many things. Um, first, the context is important. So before we looked at the broader range of sexual brokenness, our task force found that it's good for us to think about sexual holiness and wholeness. And before we even looked at that, we also wanted to think about the broader context of intimacy that sexuality and gender fits into because we're men and women that have been uniquely crafted to reflect the image of God. And each of us has been created for an intimate relationship with him. And he alone knows us and and loves us perfectly. So understanding that overall context helps us under have a better understanding of, of sexual brokenness in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's many ways that we can cultivate and experience intimacy. And again, that's sexuality fits into that is one of those ways. So um, readers will see that much of the body of the report focuses on the ways in which silence surrounding sexual brokenness in the church creates a number of problems. Um, and we address that in most of the body of the, of the report. And then in the UMC, just stepping back as a whole, um, there's so many churches that are divided on matters of what sexual holiness and wholeness are that that disagreement on our doctrine creates another barrier to, to breaking the silence in our churches. So we're, we're in a context where it's, it's especially difficult to talk about these things. Um, so getting on that same page helps a great deal. Being on that same page with like-minded people, when we understand the same doctrine, we're coming from the same place, that helps to break the silence. And we found that as part of our, our task force, as we got together and realized we're on the same page doctrinally, it was really stimulating and made it a lot easier to talk about sexual sexual issues of holiness and, and brokenness, both. So the recommendations of our report, there are they range pretty widely. Um, we talk about having clear definitions in our catechesis and in the book of doctrine and disciplines. Um, we make recommendations regarding training for those in seminary and continuing education for pastors. Um, and we talk about how we recommend that all ministry and church discipline to be redemptive in nature with regular reviews of the quality of the practice of, of church discipline and understanding um, ministries in regards to discipleship in a redemptive perspective as well. I, I, I was impressed with that part of the report because I think there's a, there's a need for us to always say, not what we're against, because most of the time when we talk about this, we get into biblical um, 
exegesis, we get into cultural exegesis, mm-hmm. we get into a bunch of other things, but we're recognizing that the church is really to be more of a place of healing for people. And it, it seemed to me that the report really does push in that direction to talk about not just, hey, here's what we believe about this, but here's also how we help those who are who are hurting um, because for, for whatever reason, and there are myriad circumstances, life is messy, people find themselves in, in different, different places. Mm-hmm. And I love the report in that sense, because it really does give us kind of here's how we're going to invite people to, to, to approach this from as churches, as, as uh, pastors, you know, as communities, how we help people to do that. So as you have started to circulate this report, and it's, we're going to talk a little bit later about how others can access it and and have input on it. What are some of the, what are some of the things that you've uh, received in terms of, of uh, comments, critiques, um, support in terms of the task force report? Yeah. um, So far response has been positive. Um, One of my favorite responses was from someone who noted that, the focus was squarely on the redemptive work of Christ and that he's still in the business of healing and restoring lives every day. And, and they just gave glory to God for that. And I was so thrilled because that was something we tried to emphasize. That was one of our goals and that that was shining through. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So I know that you and Bob have served on the accountable discipleship task force together as well. So how do you see the work of these two task forces? forces working together in the new church and helping people to find wholeness and holiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Accountable discipleship in the way that Wesley established it is a real saving grace. And I'm hearing more and more people across different denominations actually talk about the importance of having the kind of relationships that one has in a band meeting or a class meeting. Um, so it seems like we're stepping into what the Holy Spirit is doing and, and reviving, not just in, in the WCA and the GMC, but in other denominations too. And, and Wesley had this u- unique way of, of establishing those uh, relationships. So it's important in developing uh, sexual holiness and wholeness, um, having that, that kind of accountability is massively important. Um, And we're so thrilled that we were able to um, weave these together. And I was going to ask Bob, what did he think as far as his reflections on that? Well, I think that is one of the areas, you know, when, when you're in a band meeting, of course, one of the things you're talking about is, is sin. I mean, those five Wesley questions are, are really powerful. And I'm in a weekly band meeting you know, what sins have you committed since we last met? Um, and uh, what temptations have you faced? How did you overcome them? What have you done, whether you know not whether it be sin? And what secrets are you keeping? And I, I think the genius of the band meeting was that Wesley realized that men and women sin differently, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, and so a lot of a lot of the temptation, particularly as I, I can talk from the male side of the house, you know, there's a lot of things that are that are out there that are um, that are very tempting. I mean, this culture is highly sexualized. There's a lot of stuff out there, and so knowing that I have a band of brothers to go to, knowing that 
uh, I, I have to talk about this stuff on Thursday, um, does help to keep things, um, keep your eyes focused and, and keep your mind focused in, in different ways. So, um, and, and that's more preventive, but even when there is, you know, uh, hurt or, or some kind of brokenness that you have to bring forth, it's not a matter of saying, oh, now I get to go feel guilty and have guilt heaped upon me by, by these guys, but rather to say, how do we support one another? How can we help one another mm -hmm. to overcome spur one another on to perfection to use the Wesleyan language. So mm -hmm. I, I just find that to be a, a hugely essential part of this, which is one of the things I really appreciated about the report and, and our work together on accountable discipleship. Cause I think sexuality, th th there's so much in scripture about that because it's a big deal. It's one of our, our core core aspects of our personhood. And so uh, obviously when sin creeps in, it's going to attack one of those core mm -hmm. pieces of our, of our personhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's to have that it, a band meeting gives you the environment where you can trust one another mm -hmm. and you can practice restoring one another gently. Those passages in scripture where we're instructed to confess sin to one another. It's a lot easier to do that in an environment where you've built trust with a small group of people and it's very restorative. Yeah, without that, I mean, <laughs> I go back to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, about lust. If if your your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Um, sometimes that sounds easier than than confession in front of right. another group of people. <laughs> right. But but I but I think you know Jesus is giving us the the hyper hyperbolic part of that, but but really to say it is it is important enough that. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to have some vulnerability here with with some other people, and that's really the only way we find healing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I heard Kevin Watson talk about this, and I think he mentioned this that that the band meeting was kind of like AA for for sinners. You know, <laughs> we're we're all addicted to sin in some sense, and we we need mm -hmm. we need that kind of kind of confession together to make uh, to make room for wholeness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as, as you're thinking about this, Deborah, and we're talking about kind of next steps. I mean, most churches are talking about what are they going to do when the vote comes? And, you know, perhaps there are congregations that are talking about these issues. I know one of the things that I did for my congregation was went up in the mountains. I read 17 books on on sexuality from the affirming side for LGBTQ issues from the traditional side. So I could present both sides equally, um, um, or at least be able to argue them, you know, intelligently and equally. Um, what kind of other advice are you and the task force recommending for congregations right now as we move toward this? Cause obviously you don't just have to wait until, there's a new church to think about this. Um, and, and just because we change names, change denominations, those issues are still going to be there. So what kinds of things are you recommending to local churches? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a huge question because a lot of it depends on the situation in your lo local church. What can local churches do? Um, so, if the pastor or church leadership is hiding some sexual sin, there's no better day than today to repent. 
of that and get accountability. So if you're not in a band meeting as a church leader, this is the direction that the WCA and the, the GMC is heading in. You know, start getting that worked on today and get to that level of dealing with the sexual sin in your own life. Um, if the church leadership is, is turning a blind eye to some potential abuse situation, um, domestic abuse or abuse in the church, there's no better day than today to get help in investigating that. And there are resources listed under the systemic sexual abuse heading of the resource list attached to this report just for that. Um, Cause that's, again, we want to take that grander, perspective of sexual brokenness affects everyone. So we need to start with being honest ourselves. We're useless to help anyone with a splinter of sexual brokenness when we're walking around with a log or plank of it in our own eye. And that's such a great timeless illustration that Jesus used because it's so easy to picture (laughs) how useless you are if you've you've got a big um, problem that you're, you're not dealing with yourself. So we also can remember that revivals often start with repentance. And it's a great first thing to do is to be honest with yourself before the Lord. Um, so for pastors and church leaders who have experienced that, that joy uh, in being forgiven and redeemed over the sexual brokenness in their lives, because we do want to remember, let's not forget that the goal of repentance, that Jesus offers forgiveness for those who repent. And it's not just forgiveness. He offers a restoration of an intimate relationship with God and healthier relationships with those around us. Um, Repentance, although it can be hard and and painful, as you said, Bob, that it sometimes seems like it it would be easier to go through through uh, an amputation. Um, (laughs) But ultimately, that repentance leads to joy. That's the point. So, for pastors and church leaders who have experienced that joy in being forgiven and, and redeemed over the sexual brokenness in their lives or have taken on that massive work of maybe forgiving others for damage that's been done to them, um, then we can ask the Lord for opportunities to share that with your congregation. Um, so if your local church is, is doing well with these things, that there's not that plank or log in the way, then let's follow through on the Lord's promise to set the lonely in families. Mm. Um, On page five of our report, we quoted Sam Albury, who pointed out that we're the families of Psalm 68, in which God is placing the lonely. We're the mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters that Jesus is promising in Mark 10. And the Lord has designed us to be invested in one another's lives, showing hospitality And again, there's some great resources to help us with this that are attached to that report. I love what you say about uh, revival beginning with repentance. And I think for so many people, really, I mean, really, I say so many people, it's really for everyone, but especially leaders in the church, the thought of confessing a sexual sin or sexual brokenness to another person truly can be debilitating. But the interesting thing is when we think about confessing sin, you know, all sin is truly the same in God's eyes. And so I love how you're focusing on this repentance will then lead to joy and the freedom that comes in Christ. So I think that's just an important reminder for 
all of our listeners that that if if that step needs to be taken, it is the first step towards the renewal and the revival that we seek. Um, so in our own culture today, we see the the embrace of a sexual revolution. And this puts Christians in a really tough spot because culture has decided what its response to sexuality is going to be, like I said a moment ago. So I'd just love to know what your hopes are for the new global Methodist church. And then how can we as a people of faith, followers of Christ, Methodists, how can we be a winsome witness for the healing power of the gospel in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those in the arising global Methodist church, we're not just facing one culture's embrace of the sexual revolution. We're joining our brothers and sisters as part of a Christian sexual counterculture in countries on different continents around the world. Mm. So we're dealing with multicultural revolutions. And Mm -hmm. let's remember that on every continent, in every culture we happen to be in, that God is good. He's created us for intimacy with him and his commandments are altogether good for us. And in in Psalm 19.7, we read the law of the Lord is perfect. It's flawless, restoring and refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. And um, one of my favorite quotes that comes to mind also is by G.K. Chesterton. He wrote, and the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. And I, I love that mm-hmm. thought because it reminds me of like national parks. When <laughs> the, the point of a national park is to allow room for good things to run wild so that we don't go in and just run it all over. Um, so in our report, we asked the question that Cy Rogers raised, what would the world look like of, if each of us obeyed the Lord in the area of our sexuality, if we just obeyed him in this one part of our lives, what would the world look like? So we spoke earlier about how much pain and woundedness exists due to sexual brokenness. There's a lot of money being made off of manipulating our sexual brokenness around the world and deeper intimacy in God and with others occurs in the midst of sexual holiness. In fact, it's that very intimacy with God that transforms that world of sexual brokenness, which exists in and among us. So we're, we'll see refugees and we already are seeing there are refugees from the sexual revolution that need a place to develop healthy relationships in our fellowship with one another. And when we love one another, well, as Jesus said, you know, people will notice John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. So the way that we love one another and care for one another, as we are escaping the the woundedness of the sexual revolutions around us, in that Christian sexual counterculture is attractive. And I think as I hear you say that, and as a pastor, and I think Stephanie would agree, we kind of have to have our ducks in a row to think about how we will 
address these issues in our own churches, mm-hmm. how we'll do it in a redemptive way. Um, we, we've talked so much about position and we talk less about posture uh, when it comes to issues of, of sexuality. I always think of John 8 and the story of the woman caught in adultery, how Jesus understands the position of those who are about to stone her. And in effect, you know, he, he, he would not say, that's okay, adultery is okay, so drop your stones. No, he understands it, but then he gets down in the dirt with her. And, um, you know, and, and, and in effect, you know, points out hypocrisy on the one hand, but on the other hand is with her in a way that is encouraging and saying, go and sin no more. And so we have to be willing to get our hands dirty in the midst of a messy, because life is messy. People find themselves in all kinds of messiness and so we, we can get so caught up in our position on human sexuality as a, as a global Methodist church. And I, I think it's been great. And I don't, I would love your take on this, that when we put together the, the books of discipline, um, not one, but two, uh, we, we, we did not put in there, here's what we're against. We put, here's what we're for. We believe God's vision is for a man and woman, um, you know, living in covenant relationship, a lifelong covenant relationship. Um, I, I, I think that's powerful because it, it expresses what we're for. And sometimes I think when we talk about these things, and I know your task force is on, on holiness as well as brokenness. Um, and I think we have to somehow be able to articulate the beauty of the biblical vision as an alternative narrative to all, all the other stuff that's out there. How would you, how would you see that? I mean, is that part of the report as well? And and are, are there other things that we, we ought to be teaching people about what this actually means? Yes, absolutely. And, and the fact that what we're, we're really searching for is wanting to, to know and be known in that cultivating intimacy with God and with one another is fulfilling. You can, you can live without sex, but you can't live without intimacy and that love. And for us as a, a whole to, to keep, um, you know, because especially in our, in our Western culture, it's hyper-sexualized and that, you know, marriage can be elevated to be the end all be all goal in life. And that's not a kingdom perspective. Um, actually in a sense it is because ultimately the, the end all be all marriage that we're all going to be a part of in the kingdom is as the bride of Christ. So it's pointing to, yes, a marriage that's eternal, not what we get to experience here on earth among sinful people. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to experience a perfect marriage here anyway. So elevating that isn't really uh, where we need to be focused. So yeah. And Paul says un- only get married if you have to essentially. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're, we're all going to be single uh, while we're here on earth at some point in our lives and in understanding that, you know, sexuality is one, our sexual expression is one part of, of it, an expression of intimacy, but it's not the whole end all be all goal of life. It can't satisfy the way that an intimate relationship with God and, and with others can. And that's, that's part of God's overall design. So yes, it's been really refreshing to see there's not a lot of, of edicts in the, the book of doctrine and discipline that we're, we're focusing 
mostly on Christ first and foremost. So as we as we think about this report and as it's starting to circulate a little bit, um, how can people continue to engage with it? Yeah, we are excited. Um, there's for the church. There's a lot more to come. This report's a starting place for the conversations we're going to have. Um, we have a lot of work still to to do. So for people that haven't become part of the WCA, now is a really good time to join and be part of the movement and be part of what we're building. And to get in on the conversation, um, members of the task force are going to be holding a series of online discussion groups to facilitate understanding of this report, taking time to explore its implications, and to encourage more effective ministry. That And we can deal with more practical aspects of that in these smaller groups discussions. So the first of these monthly discussion groups is going to be in November for WCA chapter presidents and leaders. And then the rest starting in December will be for all WCA members as we lead up to the vote on this report at the next global legislative assembly. We wanted to provide opportunities for people to talk through and think through in that like-minded atmosphere like we were able to enjoy as we were composing the report. And as, you know, on the council, as we enjoyed when we discussed the report, um, we want to have other people have that opportunity to think through and, and share their concerns and questions and, and thoughts and ideas contributing along the way. I, I just think your work has been tremendous and I know not easy work, but, but tremendous work. And in many ways, I think this is the kind of work that had we done this as a United Methodist church, you know, years ago, um, we might not be where we are, but that that's total speculation, but to really have kind of a, a comprehensive, let's look at this in a, in a very deep way. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great thing for us to do out of the gate. Any last thoughts, Deborah, any last thoughts, Stephanie, before we wrap? Just want to thank everyone for their prayers. I know there's been a ton of prayer, um, for all the task forces, really, but we noticed it as we were working together on this this task force report. And I'm so thankful for the the members of the team that contributed um, just their years of experience and wisdom and good humor and encouragement of, of one another and challenge to one another as we were, were writing this. But um, being in that atmosphere of prayer and just ask for people to continue to pray for the WCA and the, the GMC as we keep going forward. Well, that's a wonderful way to end our time together today. Thank you so much, Deborah, for being a part of such an important thing in our world and in our faith. And Bob, good to see you again as well. And friends, we're just glad that you have joined us again. I would encourage you to check us out on Twitter at WCA pod. You can leave us some comments as well. Let us know how we're doing here with the podcast. It's exciting to be uh, wrapping up our second season. And friends, as you go forth, I would just echo Deborah's words that continue to be in prayer for all that God is doing and for how he is guiding us, leading us together as a family of faith. And we'll look forward to seeing what he's doing. Thanks again for joining us on Holy Conversations.